All right, everybody. Sorry for the uh, the delay. We've just it's kind of been one of those days, so that's how it goes. Um, so uh, John Littleford will be joining us here in just a second. Uh, let me open us in prayer real quick, and then uh, we'll see what he has to say. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for relative coolness. Thank you for uh, just another day that the sun came up that we get to be under your sun, um, Lord. I pray you bless this family, bless this time together. And just uh, draw us close. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, again, thanks for your patience today, guys. I know that it's been a little bit longer wait, uh, but we're here together, right? We're here together. So if you haven't noticed lately, we live in uncertain times. Despite all of the information and technology and advancements, in the fields of medicine and healthcare, we cannot stop plagues and diseases from attacking our world and our bodies. Despite information and advancements in psychology and the things we've learned about the brain and conflict resolution, leaders of countries still can't seem to get along. War has broken out in Ukraine over the last 20 months, and many fear another world war. Many are concerned that China is about to invade Taiwan, adding to yet another possible war in another main region of the world. So these situations beg the question, is the world as we know it getting better, despite all the advancements of mankind? And it would appear that the answer to that question is no. It would appear as though despite advancements in technology, information, and psychology that allows us to do more and learn more and be better, the problems of people getting their heart rights toward God and their fellow man continue to be a huge challenge. World leaders, health officials, and psychologists tell that if we can just take better care of ourselves by eating right, exercising more, getting more, more vaccinations, we can avoid diseases. They tell us that if we can be less stressed out, we can get along better with others around us. They tell us that if we just listen to them and tolerate any and all behaviors that they, the experts, decide is right, then we will live in a happier, calmer world of peace. One of the big problems of our day is that there's so much information and different research and studies that come out that information now is difficult to trust. And so two new buzzwords of our day are disinformation and misinformation. We don't know what or whom to believe. To confuse things more, there are different spiritual beliefs that many believe is the key to the peace of mind and heart. Today, there's basically five main religions and many other small ones that people try to follow and find peace for their soul. So in case you're wondering what those five are, I'll just name them real quick. Uh, we have Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Now, I won't even try to mention all the other faith systems of the world. I'll let you do your own research and reading. 
And so it is with these world challenges in mind that I want us to look at a story today in the book of Acts in the New Testament. It is a story of one of the early church leaders and some of the philosophies and faith systems that came against the early church. And of course, when I say church, I refer to Christianity, the faith system that most of us are familiar with and the faith system that some of us have decided to follow. I know that following Jesus is the way of this fellowship and its leadership. And so if you're here today and you're searching in your soul for peace, you can decide for yourself if you want to say yes to Jesus and his teaching. Jesus himself, before his death and resurrection, told his followers in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so the early church leader we will talk about today is the Apostle Paul. And for those of you who are not familiar with Paul, he was a devout follower of the Jewish faith tradition. He followed all the rules of the Jewish faith, believing that if he followed all the rules of Judaism, he would most certainly go to heaven and find eternal peace. He greatly opposed the newest religion of the day. And by that, I mean the followers of Jesus. He even supported the stoning of early Christians until he was encountered one day by Jesus himself and became a disciple of Jesus. It's the great story that's preached here week after week. Now, we will touch on the most important part of this story today. After Paul's decision to follow Jesus, he was compelled to share his newfound faith with anyone and everyone he came into contact with. He traveled to surrounding countries of his home country, Israel, to bring the good news of Jesus to people who had not yet heard of Jesus. And so that's the introduction of where we pick up today with our story in the book of Acts, chapter 17. I will start reading at verse 16, and then before we unpack some of what is taking place here. So while Paul was waiting for them, them being his friends, Paul and Silas, in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Now, it should be explained that all the, the, all the Athenians there, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So we see that Paul has some time in Athens while he's waiting for his ministry partners to catch up, and he becomes troubled. He's concerned about what he sees with all these idols all over the city. So as, as a former Jew practicing Judaism, he goes to the religious center of the, zoo, of the Jews, that being the synagogue, 
where the Jews and the other God-fearing non-Jews hung out, otherwise known as Gentiles. Paul had conversations with them about God and faith that he was observing there in the city. He also had debates with two groups of folks called the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans' search for peace was this. Listen up. They sought pleasure. By this, not so much the sexual indulgence that some might assume. Instead, they pursued pleasure in the sense that they worked hard to avoid pain and simply feeling bad. They avoided life's challenges that caused them pain. They stayed away from anything involving superstitious fears, including belief in life after death. In other words, the thought of an afterlife stressed them, especially if how they lived on earth might determine where they spent eternity. So they simply chose not to believe in the afterlife because it caused too much inner turmoil in their souls. Now, frankly, I know some people like that today. Life challenges become so painful that they simply look for ways to feel better. They turn to drugs, alcohol, or relationships. Simply to avoid pain. Honestly speaking, people today are not so different, are they, than they were 2,000 years ago. And then there was this other group called the Stoics. They believed in a great number of gods and put their focus on being determined to live a very moral life, not screw up big time. And if painful circumstances came their way, they just plowed right on through the challenges by mainly ignoring them, shoving them under the rug, you could say, until the pain subsided and they could go about their business. They just focused on the next task ahead of them. Do the best you can and suck it up mentality. They really didn't believe in a certain destiny, but more or less every man or woman for himself or herself. And I would say again today we find these kind of people. So again, we can say that mankind is really no different today in terms of dealing with life than people of long ago. So both of these groups, listen to Paul, speak about Jesus and the resurrection. And their response was this, what does this babbler have to say? What is this strange teaching? He seems to be speaking about foreign gods. And so these philosophers decided to take these conversations before what they called the High Council of Athens to discuss what Paul was teaching. The council was made up of a bunch of, basically a small group of really smart people trying to listen to the facts and trying to discern the truth about any matter brought before them. They actually made the decision who would debate publicly and who would not. Because Athens was this great cultural center of its day where all kinds of the latest ideas of anything significant were openly discussed in an open public setting. So Paul was decided then to this public forum to talk about Jesus and the resurrection. So this was Paul's speech to all those so-called smart philosophers of the day. He said, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing 
is, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations through the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist as some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So as you can see, Paul had his moment to speak truth that he knew about. He delivered the truth to the people in the high council of Athens. He acknowledged their religious nature of people. He introduced them to the God they admitted they didn't know. The people of Athens had many gods but had enough sense to know that there might be a God they didn't know. And they even built a shrine to that God. So Paul took the opportunity and introduced them to the tr one true God of the universe, the creator of the world and everything else. The God who can't be limited to man-made buildings or carved into statues or objects. The God who breathes life into everything alive and the God who is in control over all things. Now, you might think to yourself, good for Paul. He had his day. What about our day? You might think times are different. In some ways, they are. And I would respond to you, okay, but, but maybe not as much as you think. So, folks, I want to take a minute and talk about our world today and how Christianity, the faith that's preached here, is different from all other world faith systems. I want to introduce you to truth, not so much an idea or philosophy, but more importantly, who the truth is. Now, granted, we don't have time to talk about all the world's religions and pick them apart thought by thought, but I hope that today you can leave here being challenged to think about why you believe, what you believe, but more importantly, who you believe God to be. So I want to list three and, and talk about three main differences between Christianity and the other faith systems I've mentioned today. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Judaism. And it would be impossible to cover each religion in full, so again, I'm not going to try. If you're searching for truth, you can certainly do some research on your own. And you can ask any of this church leadership that's here why they place their faith in Jesus and become his followers. So I'll say the first main difference between following Jesus and other faiths is this. Every other religion teaches you to earn your way to God. All other religions require you to obey your way into God's favor. It simply teaches that if you can do enough things in this life and your good stuff outnumbers the bad stuff, then God will let you into his kingdom and into his afterlife. Folks, Christianity is the only religion that teaches that God came to us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God 
demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us before we did anything for him. God didn't wait for us to get things right before he sent his son to die. In fact, God sent his son because he knew we could never get things right apart from Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The second thing that I would like to bring up as to why Christianity is different is that other religious systems have systems of rules to appease God. Christianity, on the other hand, is a relationship with God. So building on that first point of difference, other religions give us a list of things to do and not do. Some religions call them laws or pillars of faith. They are different that you do, that these are things that you do, excuse me, in hopes of getting into heaven. Other religions focus on what you can do to basically remove God's anger for your sins and wrongdoings. Many folks believe that God is mad at them. He's angry when they mess up. And I would say not is the case with Jesus. Christianity is about a relationship. John 17.3 says this, Eternal life is to know God. Plain and simple. Know God. Seek him. Enter into a relationship with him, and you can have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So I ask you the question, do you see the difference? Folks, as Christians, we don't do things to earn merit with God. We don't have to appease God to receive his favor. He already showed up showed his love for us by sending Jesus to die on a cross in our place for our sins. The separation between us and God was appeased, and we don't have to do a thing except believe. Psalm 145, 18 and 19 tells us, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call him in truth, in, on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. John 6, 29. Jesus told people, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's the only work. To believe in the one he has sent. So folk, Christians who go to church, read the Bible, obey commands from God, we, they do it not because they have to, but they want to grow in their relationship with the Heavenly Father. They want to learn about this God who would go to such great, such great lengths for us, for them. We want to show our thankfulness for His grace by representing Him well with our lives. We, and we choose to follow His plan knowing that a God who loves us 
enough to sacrifice his son has our best interest at heart. Now, let's look at the third most important fact about following Jesus that separates Christianity from the other world religions. No other religion has an empty grave. We're the only ones who follow a leader who died and came back to life. Every other major religious leader is dead. And people have been looking for Jesus' body for thousands of years, and they still have not found him. Now, with all the advancements in scientific technology, no one has been able to solve this mystery in the world of science. The tomb, the grave is empty, and the body is not hidden and will never be found because Jesus rose from the dead. This is what Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians about the resurrection. Let, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And on the third day, just as the scripture said, he was raised on the third day. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of whom are, at that time were still alive. Some had died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born, again, this is Paul speaking, born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And Paul says, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I've worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have believed. He continues, and I want you to listen, we're almost finished. Paul says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you're still guilty of all your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest 
of all who have died. Now, folks, if you want to question the historical fact that Jesus existed and rose from the grave, you can do that. But then we can call into question all historical facts as possibly not being true. And where does that leave us? <laughs> Nowhere. The Bible says this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me as we close in prayer here. These passages of Scripture make sense to you if you are already a follower of Jesus. If you're not sure about Jesus and who he is and what he did on your behalf, this church, the church at Southside, wants you to know that the one true God of the universe is their God. And he is the one they worship, and he is the reason they come out here every week to show and express the love of Jesus in such a way as to invite you to know that you are loved and accepted just as you are. No strings attached. The simple message of the good news is this. God loves you. He knows your sins. He's taking care of your sins by sending Jesus in the world to die for your sins. His motivation to do this was out of love. And God offers you eternal life by simply asking you to place your faith in Jesus. You cannot earn or obtain eternal life in any other way. Which again, I quote to you what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes of the Father except through me. Father, you know those who are your children here today. Encourage them and strengthen them today. For those who don't know you yet, help them to clearly see the difference between trying to earn eternal life and simply receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus, our way, our truth, our life. And we say, in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Folks, thanks for listening today. Thanks for being here. I always enjoy coming out here and seeing you folks. <laughs>